0: We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. Kyo Lagas Kora on Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. Le Niklas Chadwick's Kilkenny supporting Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM.
1: Yeah, falchur o e story gach ologas cora air er on er Saturday show. It's for the race at Glenshane Church. Air on noon, air in eight o'clock, freshen. Well, to snomie dar madan le me hala dirmide. Augustan madan, air me hala colour, Be hail peg sirs. Roga Peggy, non Queen, the country girlie. You not take us a shock to three. was Captain Ross Kelly untacky peg. Well, let any scream anglicio or Queenie Glower. She on tanimer now or the winter dress. Cos Rose gunna door agus um, Monach unvraher John Erikaile i three day dhaireacht. Marion unlower gur e sail cruach. E got dinner e gan to Angela Oder unlower an ling Armagh. Agus peache she a kind she coolra unlower. Well Dora vee may glib na pop down at Shikatja. Who fedara feadara? For she is Mark Oul her Killian Foley Walsh the door, will 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 must be green, baby, on Well, you're very welcome, to Another day's broadcasting on Community Radio for City and the Cure of his Cora. May Hallow will start this morning's programme talking to us about Peg Sayre, the Irish author, and Siannachie born in Dunqueen in County Kerry in 1873, described as one of the greatest women storytellers of all times. The Winter Dress is the story of Rose, a wild Irish dressmaker, and Brother John, an agnostic monk and scribe. Their paths crossed at the end of a winter's day in 1348. The book is also an historic account of the difficulties of life in Ireland at the time. The author of the book is Angela Cue of Kilkenny, and Angela joins me this morning to chat about her book. My last Sunday in the Sunday Times, a 26-year-old Kilkenny man, a law graduate of Minutes and UCD, wrote, For the first time in my life, I'm seriously considering emigrating. I think my, I'm representative of my generation, and a lot of the youth of Ireland want out of here. Those are the words of Killian Foley Walsh, who joins me this morning to chat about why he wants out of this country. Well, time permits, we'll get some more interviews from the uh, Mayfair Ballroom uh, that I have as well. Well, That's our text line. Always glad to hear from you. But week is the Tony We do appreciate the support of Tony as a team in Chadwick's Talk Steve and as ever. We do very much appreciate your support. Well, Community
0: Radio Kilkenny City has been informed of the following bereavements.
2: The death has taken place of Breda Roach, nee Foran, Clarnwood, Freshford Road, Kilkenny and late of Drummond, Fossa, Killarney County Kerry. She died on Friday, November the 6th, peacefully at her home in the loving care of her family. Beloved wife of Morris and much-loved mother of David, Karen and John. She will be sadly missed by her loving family, sister Carmel and brothers Dominic and Derry, extended family and friends. A private Requiem Mass for Breda's family will be celebrated on Saturday, November 7th at 12 noon in the Prince of Peace Church, Fossa Killarney, followed by interment in the Old Cemetery, Ahado. Family flowers only, please. Breda's Requiem Mass will be live-streamed at www.churchmedia.tv. The death has taken place of Ellen Eileen Reedy, Neil Lawler, College Gardens Kilkenny. She died on Friday the 6th of November, peacefully at home, in the tender care of her family. Beloved wife of the late James and much-loved mother of Finbar and Gar. Sadly missed by her loving sons, sister Peg, daughter-in-law Angela, granddaughters Jane and Karen and their husbands Paul and David, great-grandsons Shay and Dylan, sister-in-law Angela, nephews, nieces, extended family, neighbours and friends. In accordance with current government HSE guidelines and in the interest of public health, a private family funeral will take place for Ellen, with Requiem Mass celebrated on Sunday afternoon, November the 8th, at 2pm in St. Joseph's Church, Fuchstown, followed by burial in the adjoining cemetery. The death has taken place of Anne Annie Askew, Nee Nolan, Oaklawn, Paulstown, County Kilkenny, and late of Ballyvalden, Castle Warren, and Windermere, UK. She died on Friday the 6th of November at St. Luke's Hospital, Kilkenny beloved wife of the late Norman. Sadly missed by her sister-in-law, May Nolan, nephews, nieces, grandnephews and grandnieces, cousins, relatives and friends. A private family funeral will take place for Annie, with Requiem Mass celebrated on Sunday morning, November the 8th, at 11.30am in the Church of the Assumption, Paulstown, followed by interment in the Holy Family Cemetery, Paulstown. Eryesh Dei, I
1: get in the tea here, and the dinnah afore boss. they should be a the
3: cars that Tommy rush wished, what could me, on radio in the Gael took them, a to uh, Níl and Dara righte. Níl and Dara, Níl ní so tá oh, ní ó fyawn feig seás, ach ó fe, ocha, uh, Kegur, na peg, a stóch a, na sí fén id, sí si a mach fain, Michal, a I have written a the language and PEG. I have school, a father, a school, and we live and write in the language, I have in the I have of written nor luutorp peg bindenar peg neer nilen gelgo on nor a the Kappelan dina gräffs i Nu, det är en av mig fäna när det visar sig att en av den här testen är blindt av i gåhunt i VK norvisch a the more ach chin nirhanche lan lande a kadave gest nir niren khormakko lan genal seal of yawen nogus a Nu, no, tar ta ränta sin ögon. Um, uh, uh, n- n- uh, <coughs> och man vet hur om en laur, an laur har enig och välfägg. Beter nog är sin en laur och vi är inte klodig. Vi är bara pär. Men det är nu I think that the people who the world have been able to get a a for a new life, and a it's in a got a tone irene and green our female hush is in the lower scholar is a more got cool irene and an green and they're not of i in feggy fan once she took call a mark green or Screen <coughs> uh, ori, an e-line, Tomaso Crihanan Key Dinner, Shin, Seas, uh, and Shin mm-hmm. Linne, Linne dearam, Peg Sayers, uh, Alvis, an Shin Willis O'Sullivan, Lenalor Fihablina Fawes. Maraduram, Ruguk Peg, near Rugukheran eram lasgede, Rugukhi, Malavikaira, uh, Trasnan, Trasnan Koin, Oum Lasgede, Alvis Rugukhi Seren, Ochjog, Shakto Tri. I was V Sail Bronke, I guess I can win we we three clown I was Kiloch Nenor Divson in a Bash I was uh um, V we Berkrahke vi fast so Drifura one V son susle, uh, Fihblin is a hotter etc. I was, um, well, Nivorshi boss, I was in a patamor, so clown I was or she's a care, uh, uh and the canal sél the people who the world, and who are in and the world, and who are in the world, and who are in the world, the and who are the world, and who Róhásta graff an, an, an drifúr óg sa fóist a tach. Agus bíach Giran, garaán. Agus an sin ur a bí peig a trídeag fóir ag pústa de e, e, e dach sa dangan. Múintra corin, corinz. Agus an thán sin sa dangan í. An tach tárn agus siop agus fí felin wafó. Agus hí cera blíin an sin agus bíach sí sásta galór an sin. Uh, agus an sin... We are renting a America, we call a America, the a cost the in and she we pay force to the talk, August. <laughs> Er, er, er and last game. No. We have a and we have a lot so people here, and have a here, we have a lot here, and we have a lot of people here, and we have a here, och ni ni i land men vi ser vad ni är kru och ni är gult när man är er Ach, stifosti, agus, no, vi drar får oss i käll vi tror drar får oss i käll och det står en drar I de hók sér þaðan og það er í stundu við við erum blindir í því að það er hælur kærlaðar þaðan, árs <laughs> þannsinn nú er dásat af sögus í langan árs snúfæddi de gúi gúi sér gúlær gömærikan, að to er fálaðan án búgla bóiga hann er ekki we in depression in America, August, Dilce Rash, August, Don e� in the the world, who are in the world, who are in in the world, who are in the world, who are in the world, in the lower, who are a the huixifena was <laughs> a rush or more his nadahi a wasen noro vi xi egoreni zesta a helchi rof nasul or asen fer the hashin an brin to a horenos me honig and lor peg amach nediu and then he said that he was a man who was a man who a man who was 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 och det är verkligen att jag har en snälla ord för hela fägg och vi har en annan skedin att när sklar i mor är taftsjuk igen till honom kan skilta väl i dets och valet åhäga och en nykhet att kan den valet kan känna hos i kommissionen och väl i August, the first time I saw the Padre Gohele the Scholar of the Lower he was able to the same result as the other people. August, he was to get the the But he was able the And Vi recording again of the anakhidja uh d Dach Queencha Igus Nishkels uh Vichy Data E Commission and Veligis I was uh the Da Da Delulyuska Mach uh Jenshin. I simul will a against uh, Neil Gerald and what kind of high Neil Gom, ach, uh, ta, ta me, uh, le, nur nulig, huugun, huugun kela, uh, uh, le, uh, 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 who showing cuz one of my my Jerome to fake uh near I on a year now wishy wishy an a hidden it was <laughs> <laughs> The first time we have we here and Brian McMahon. August debut, debut, ish in a label, but it's a little bit of a bundle, and Nils
1: <laughs> there. So, thank you for watching. Thank for the Thank you for watching. Thank you for watching. Thank you for
0: we are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM Kyo Cora on Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. La Niclaus O'Brainon.
1: Father to asked Kora. Well describe another Angela Kyo and Lauer the Winter Dress. Well Kotros a Gunador August and Monach Monarch on Brah John Erichele a three day said the had a well Larine and Lauer griff sail crew a gockdin egg and ounce. Well Tob we may count later another Angela three than Choctaw my all around lower. The Winter Dress is a story of Rose, a wild Irish dressmaker, and Brother John, an agnostic monk and scribe. Their paths cross the end of winter day in 1348. Well, the author of the book, The Winter Dress, is Angela Keough, native of Kilkenny. Angela, thank you for joining me to discuss this book. I found it a great read, I must say. Now, it wasn't necessarily a book that I'd readily have picked up in a bookshop, but having read it, it really educated me on life in Ireland during the 14th century. Tell me, Angela, and we'll talk a bit about yourself later on, where did you get the motivation for? the book
4: Uh, thanks for having me on Nikki, and i'm delighted to hear you enjoy this so the idea came from a few directions i got a history lecture in Castle Dermot, and john mckenna came in character to the to the history lecture and gave a lecture as a victim of the black death but he talked about life in the at the time in the town and that was fascinating. And then I discovered Castle Dermot was once a French-speaking walled town. That was fascinating. And then I read the diary of John Clint who was describing Kilkenny, and he was writing at the time, and he wrote about the day that the Black Death arrived in Kilkenny, which was Christmas Day, 1348. And, oh, and then the diary just ran out, but he also died at that time. But it was there were so many things that inspired me to really look at that period in history. And the more I looked at it, the more interesting it became, because there were so many different cultures
1: you mentioned John Klein, and John John Klein was, was a Franciscan monk, so in many ways m- the monks and the monastic life were very much at the core of the book as well, of which we'll talk about in a moment.
4: Yes, absolutely. So his character actually, yeah, really inspired me, and then I wondered what it would be like if you were a scribe, but actually you wanted to do your own work. You wanted to write your own poetry, or you wanted to write your own stories down, but you were employed and probably only had the parchment and ink to do what the abbot or the monastery wanted you to do, which was to record the important things that were going on at the time.
1: Well, um, the book was obviously set and you've alluded to there with uh, Castle Dermot because Castle Dermot was called something different, which you'll tell us about in a moment. But in the South Kildare, Carlo and Kilkenny came into prominence in the book at various stages.
4: That's right. So the, uh, one of the characters is a stonemason from Kilkenny. Now, I do have a, a family of builders <laughs> related to me in Kilkenny. It's not one of them that the character is based on, but I've always been fascinated with, with stonework, actually. You know, I remember reading Ken Follett's four Pillars of the art thinking, just being really fascinated with the development of architecture and, and building over the years. So, one of the characters is a stonemason from Kilkenny and he, he goes to Trissoderma to work for a while on the Abbey, which was destroyed at the time of the Bruces and it was rebuilt at the time the book was set. So, Rose talks about that, about the rebuilding of the Abbey.
1: And how did you find the researching? I mean, you talked about uh, John McKenna came in, in in period dress and all that, but in terms of getting access to the information about Ireland at the time and trying to de- 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 depict that in the book as real as possible. How how did you find that process?
4: That's a really good question, because some things were easier to find than others. It's great that places like Kilkenny have a really good archaeological society, and they keep records of things. And like I said, John Clint's manuscript is one of the only surviving accounts of the Black Death in Ireland at the time, so I had that. A lot of the documents from the Wild Irish didn't actually manage to make it through the burning of the Four Courts. A lot of stuff was destroyed then. So I looked to art, I looked... To old stories. So I wondered what was the character of Rose? What would she have known about as she was growing up? What kind of stories would she have been told? What was happening environmentally at the time? I went and did a medieval history course as well. From Margaret Murphy in uh, Carlo College, which was fascinating. So t- details like the most common cause of death of children uh, at the time. You know, things like that, it sounds sure. very morbid now, but <laughs> there are records of things like that, deaths. And yeah, but
1: while the book is a novel, I mean, it is fair to say that it it is also a, a very great history of Ireland at a particular time in its development, in the mid-14th century.
4: Yes, and there was the Norman culture happening, definitely within the walls of the town, and then there was the Wild Irish outside the town, and they both had their own completely different societies, and the Wild Irish even had a very different church. Their Christian church was very different to the church, the Roman church that was maybe more present within the town. So there's a bit, there's that in the book, the kind of Celtic saints and that kind of thing. And then the more organized Roman church and what the priests might have been, might have thought of the Wild Irish and, and the different rules they were trying to impose. And one one thing that was really interesting, I discovered, well, I thought it was interesting, that at the time they were trying to make a law that would say only a person, a person could only get married once and only the first marriage was legal. And the Wild Irish didn't agree with this. And it took years and years for that to become normal so there was a time where, where people had they might have had a, a couple of husbands or wives simultaneously not living together they would leave them but they they, <laughs> they could leave their husband or wife and they could marry again and all the children would be legitimate
1: well one of the prominent pe- uh, pe- people in the book we'll start with her is Rose a, a lady who had many tragedies in her life she had love she had death she had all sorts of things now I know she ended up in Kilkenny at the end and we'll, we maybe come to that but tell us a little bit about Rose because there was a lot of different things going on in her life
4: Yes, Rose O'Byrne, one of the O'Byrne from outside Castle Dermot. Now, that's a very strong family name in that area, as are the O'Toole's and the Dempsey's who were also mentioned. They would have been, I looked up the maps at the time and different areas of different clans and those names would have been common at the time. She was a dressmaker like her mother and they worked away in their own clan and she and her mother then moved to the town because they had been asked to make a dress for a a noble woman of the town, a Norman. And, And the Normans really loved the Irish designs which of course I've often heard you've often I've often heard that in school the Normans became more Irish than the Irish themselves They actually loved the designs so they got plenty of work which was brilliant for Rose came could she could get status and independence from and of course
1: she could get an income
4: she could have an income yes and her mother so they they did well from their craft
1: but generally women in that in the 14th century even within the confines of the Norman establishment and particularly outside it women were very much treated poorly
4: they had a hard time and and worse in some families say than others but there, there was a slave trade it wasn't called slavery, but there were, you know, women would have been exchanged for different things. I read one account of a diary that one family had exchanged their baby, their baby girl, um, in exchange for food during a during famine, and and that was she would have been called a cumal, c-u-m-a-l, an Irish word, and would have gone on and been reared and worked in the households that she had been brought into. You know, kind of owned by somebody. There is a bit of that in the book that 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 was what went on women had a hard time there seems to be there's a myth that in the in the wild irish they would have had an easier time than they had in the towns but actually they, they had a hard they were a possession really wherever they went but they did have a slightly freer time outside the town probably
1: you mentioned the wild irish a couple of times i was going to bring it up as good a time now as any talk to me about the wild irish because their carry on outside the main fortress area was was rough to say the least
4: it was so they lived within their family groups and there's been lots of different trials to try and make make similar dwellings to what they would have lived in but of course all of every you know a lot of of that went back into the earth and it's hard to say exactly what the houses were like or what their dwellings were like but they were probably made of wood and they lived in their clan and they would have been associated with other clans you know there was an awful lot in the research of this that really reminded me of some of the traveller cultures. You know, really close family communities, really associated with other family communities, and then maybe not so much with other families. And they would have lived in their own way, You know, they would have been completely different to the people within the town, I suppose. And
2: And they obviously,
1: and suppose tribes like that had their difficulties at times and their differences, and that ended up in tough situations.
4: There were some tough situations, yes. So you had the the feuding that was going on between the invaders or the the people coming that were being planted, or the the Norman conquest. Then there was the feuding that went on within the families themselves as well. A lot of and and as as pressure came on them and they had to move on. That kind of intensified in a way that was kind of unfair, you know. But, yeah, so things like there was kidnapping, there was all kinds of things that happened. Um, there's a bit of that in the book, that something happened with the Wild Irish and the Norman family that are talked about in the book.
1: And, of course, the, the other person who, if I could call him just the, the other star of the book, is Brother John. Tell us about Brother John, because again, he had a fascinating life within the, the monastery life there, the fortress, and then he obviously spent time outside Ireland.
4: He did. Brother John went off to the monastery when he was quite young. He had had a tragedy in his own house and he had difficulty with his hearing and his speech at one point and his, his mother taught him to, to write using the rushes and the different shapes and then a visiting monk met him and brought him on with them to the monastery and... You know, he went in and he lived in the monastery and became a scribe, learned how to become a scribe. And he talks about once seeing the Book of Kildare, which doesn't, well, it did exist, but nobody has ever seen it. And I just liked that, but that he had actually seen it. And he struggled with his faith. But, you know, when I, was, when I was studying medieval history, they talked about that period of time and that you can't talk about the culture without talking about the church two things were the same so whether they were the wild irish or the people inside the walls religion was very very important to them it was part and parcel of life so um going off to live in the monastery wasn't an unusual thing and there were lots of other boys there too
1: and of course it was understood at that stage that people in the monastery were there also there very much to help their community and help people who were in in difficult circumstances maybe were were hungry or whatever it might have been
4: Absolutely. So the leper hospital that's mentioned in the book is still there, St. John's Hospital. You can still you can see it. It's in somebody's back garden now in Castle Dermot, but you can see it at the outside of the town. And that was the leper hospital, and there were there's a few of them around Ireland, and they w- were used when people were sick. That's where they went. And maybe if a wealthy person... Was coming to the end of their lives, they'd spend it in the monastery too. Um, so they did serve their communities absolutely. They were part and parcel of it. Festivals and feast days, and, and it's where people went when they they needed all kinds of things. Yeah, and
1: I know where Brother John as well. He he left as it was called Castle Dermot, and he then he he went overseas for some time, and that was difficult for for him for a period as well. And suppose it was he was maybe he was frustrated in uh, in Ireland, but he had his difficulties overseas too.
4: Yes. So he decided to walk in the footsteps of jesus as he says and go on a pilgrimage to the the far east to go to jerusalem and he he, i won't spoil it but that's that's what he wants to do and pilgrimage was very much part of life at the time so if somebody had a holy well or if there was somebody a relic of something in a church now that was a very big bonus because people would come on pilgrimage um, to that place and there was plenty of of money to be made out of the business of pilgrimage you know it was like the it was really just like the tourist trade so much of what it was like is like just a different version of what we have now it's not that different even even the trade routes if you look at them on a map sometimes you think you're looking at the trade routes of amazon of course and actually you could get everything you could get olives and Kilkenny at the time can you imagine that? You could get olives in the market, at Kenny. I'd say you couldn't get them in the 50s in Ireland, but you could get them in the 1300s.
1: Yeah. Was Rose's skill as a dressmaker, was that typical in Ireland in those days maybe that their people in areas were very skillful at a particular areas like dressmaking or other things?
4: Absolutely. People were so resourceful because there was only themselves so they had to build their own houses, they had to make their own clothes, make their own shoes and I've seen some shoes off the time as well led, from, so there was huge employment like the tanners and people were kind of born into a trade which they learned from their families
1: Of course, uh, the, be- the book obviously is, contains a lot, bit about the whole the Black Death and its impact in Ireland In uh, it came to Ireland in 1348 and it hit Kilkenny as you quite rightly said, Christmas of that year I- it was devastating the impact it has because thousands died I mean the Irish population decreased from point. One million to one point seven million, because of the uh, Black Death, as it was called.
4: Yes, there were thirty million people died worldwide from the Black Death. Isn't that extraordinary? Absolutely, thirty million. And you're right, absolutely. The, there was a huge decrease in population, and it changed the labour force afterwards forever. You know, so so labour was cheap before the Black Death, and afterwards, labourers were able to kind of demand rights and ask for more, you know, a decent wage and that kind of thing. So it changed it changed society completely.
1: I thought it was interesting reading a little bit of research for our chat today that in the Irish, uh, Gaelic-Irish population over in the west of Ireland, they were not as badly affected as what was termed the Anglo-Irish colony when it came to the Black Death. Or that, that was interesting, I thought.
4: It's really interesting, and you're absolutely right. It didn't affect the Black, the Wild Irish as much as it did the people in the towns, and that's because of the way it spread with the close contacts as we know now, and that kind of thing. So it wasn't once it didn't get into a population and they weren't mixing much with the town, it wouldn't really get into the population.
1: Following actually the Black Death as well, another bit of information that I, I came across as well is that is that many of the uh, the lands became tenantless, as it was called, because a uh, lot of the people who were there had either been killed or had died in the Black Death. So a lot of land around the country was left without without owners, and that caused its own trouble, of course
4: that's right and you know something else trees became so so they did there weren't as many trees needed because of the the reduction in population so like at that time there was a huge amount of trees allowed to grow maybe that wouldn't have been allowed in previous years so if you're looking at the environmental history that was one thing that happened trees began to populate those places that were left
1: you're not suggesting that the black debt is a help; it will help the whole uh, eco climate. No. We need now or Angela. I'm not.
0: It was a terrible thing. No, no, i not. Was... No,
1: i course no. I, I jest with that.
0: Yeah. I,
1: I, I came across another comment in it was very interesting because I live very close to it about the cave in Dunmore, the Dunmore caves. It be, it was termed in your book the darkest place in the land. Yes, the
4: Dunmore caves are in the annals of Ireland as one of the three darkest places in the land. So that's going back way before the book is set and I think one of them was maybe the Mitchellstown cave and I, I, I can't remember the yeah. third one but the Dunmore cave was the, was the third darkest place yeah well
1: my own obviously connection with the Dunmore cave was my late uncle John, John Brennan he was one of the first people to bring visitors down into the caves before the uh, Board of Works took it over in fact so there's a, the, my father was boarding right beside the Dunmore cave so I just came across that little clip in the book I thought it was interesting
4: it is Nicky and my father used to cycle out there as he, as a young person the teenagers used to cycle out there and go down with ropes I don't know how they got down before the that's city. correct and, and years later he got a job as a, as a guide in the Dunmore Caves so he only left last year so he was working there for years as a, as a guide so yeah I have a great fondness for the Dunmore Caves yeah
1: well before look before we finish we need to find out a bit about yourself Angela and your Kilkenny connection you might just tell our listeners that
4: so Angela kill and my, I was born in Kilkenny and we moved from there when I was a child and we moved to Carlo and even though it was only 20 miles up the road life couldn't have become more different for us because we had so much family in Kilkenny so my father was from Michael Street and I spent an awful lot of my childhood in michael street with my grandmother agatha keogh and tommy keogh her husband so we all our holidays we spent there and my mother um is in Nolan from the sign road and again another place we spent an awful lot of time and um and then we moved to Carlo and Carlo is is beautiful and everything else but we didn't have any relations there so it was really strange maybe you know it's, it's that strange sensation of being out of been out of place
1: of course talk to me a little bit about your other literary works Angel because I know you're just not confined to writing novels I mean you're, you're into drama as well and unfortunately in the current climate people involved in that area are finding it difficult
4: the theatre work has all stopped so we were due to go on tour with a play about Shackleton this autumn which I was directing called South Always South and that was postponed until next year and I've written plays. Actually, the Winter Dress was a play. It was put on in in it was pl- put on in the Medieval Mile Museum a couple of years ago, and wrote House one night, and um, in the bookshop in Kilkenny as well. And it's going to go out as a radio play, which is is a different version than the book. But it will go out as a radio play. Um, I think at some point later on this year. Very as well, good. So, yeah. yeah.
1: And in terms then of is writing during the pandemic, is it possible to do that?
4: It is, like everybody else. I was probably in a panic for the first few weeks, and it was hard to do anything. We didn't know what to do, you know, um, and everybody was trying to do their best and feeling like you should be doing everything. Now, this time around, I think we're all kind of, if you're getting through the day and you're keeping yourself well and you're connecting with people, you're doing okay. But I did manage to do some work, all right, during during the
1: pandemic. We certainly look forward to seeing that work. Well, the winter dress is published by the Harvest Press. You can actually get it online from the Harvest Press, and I'm sure the the bookshop centre in Kilkenny will be able to get the book for you as well. Angela, I'm delighted you could come on and talk to us this morning, and uh, well done on the book. I know it's been out uh, for some time now, but it's still a great read, and I'm, I'm delighted that uh, you touch base with us to to chat about it. And of course, we'll we no doubt we'll have you on again, chatting about what comes next from yourself, and maybe from the Harvest Press. So delighted to talk to you. Thanks Amelia,
4: Nikki.
1: Thanks for having me on. Very grateful. Thank you. Yeah, the another Angela Yo of the kind country in shocked the the Laura screw she the winter's dress. Finally ling be to rest the four we
0: we are Community Radio Kilkenny City eighty eight point seven FM
1: and describe Killian Foley piece Sunday Times. Go will chance go didn't Well, Killian Walsh wrote a piece that McMahon, will be talking to him in a moment now, that he was uh, thinking of emigrating out of the country uh, because of all that's happening in the pandemic. Now, I've had Killian on before, he's a former president of Young Fine Gael, so I thought we'd get him on to see uh, is his view, get his views, um, and hear if he, see if he's uh, indicative of what other young people are saying out there Killian? good morning to you and thanks for joining us
5: morning Nicky how are you
1: well now you want to get out of the country and uh, what has brought this on I mean obviously uh, you say uh, the move from level 2 to level 5 is the straw that has broken your back explain that
5: Yeah, so Nikki, I suppose like everybody back at the start of this pandemic, we all sort of pulled on the green jersey, to use that metaphor, and um, were happy enough to to do what we had to do to try and get everything under control. Um, But I think as time has gone on and with these lockdowns carrying on with the World Health Organization saying that they should really be the absolute last resort to bring things under control, what we're seeing is what I feel anyway to be the the sowing of salt into Ireland. You know, um, it's, it's being ravaged by these lockdowns. We see week on week there's more and more people having to apply to PUP. PUP, it's, uh, the, the pandemic unemployment payments, I should say, PUP. Uh, the PUP was only ever supposed to be a temporary thing for people. It was supposed to be there while your job was shut down, I suppose, uh, so that you could then uh, go back to your job afterwards and you wouldn't be, be so badly off in the meantime. But what we're seeing increasingly, and, and from my perspective anyway, uh, is that the PUP has become a new sort of uh, uh, an almost uh, permanent welfare thing for people because there are no jobs to go back to.
1: And you, uh, feel, you feel it should be reduced? It should be, what, eliminated?
5: No, certainly not. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. I think that while it's there, it's, it's an excellent uh, facility, and it's actually a great measure that the government introduced, but I'm using it as a metaphor to say that basically it was supposed to be there for people to then go back to their jobs uh, that were just shut down. But what I'm seeing, certainly, and amongst my friends and my age, is that jobs weren't shut down. Jobs were just destroyed. Uh, there's no jobs to go back to. And if that's the case, and if, if that's a government policy, as it seems, um, as a result of these lockdowns, which is government policy, then why would we stay? You know? But
1: but the government policy is effectively being dictated by Neffert. Surely, uh, if you were sitting in in, in Mayhall Martin seat, and over Varadkar earlier, you'd have to take the advice of the... Uh, follow the science, as the word goes.
5: Yeah, well, I suppose. Now, I saw a very good uh, comparison being made again early on at the start of this. It was a dentist actually said it on um, said it on Twitter, uh, a friend of mine, uh, who said that if if your dentist had, your w- had their way, you'd be washing your teeth 12 times a day. You'd never do anything other than wash your teeth, uh, floss, all that sort of stuff. But unfortunately, life intervenes, and not everybody's in a position to be able to do exactly what their dentist wants them to do because they've got other considerations to take into account. Uh, in this scenario, I think that Nefit has a very specific... Uh, remit uh, when it comes to public health it's their job to crush this virus no matter what and that's excellent but the government is there and elected by the people to take other things into account like the economy, like mental health like other health services and they just don't seem to be getting a fair hearing in this um, so uh, I think that there are other kinds of science that need to be followed as well not just the public health ones
1: And it, oh, you talk about the whole issue of mental health, now that's been very much in the forefront it must be said and uh, you've read some information from uh, your work and information from Jigsaw do you feel that young people are, and when we're dealing with young people in the context of yourself, and it could apply to anyone, yeah. is, is mental health challenges becoming a big issue for young people during this time?
5: Absolutely, Nikki. I mean, the catastrophization that we see in the news every single day is desperate. Um, I mean, I've, I've been joking with my friends over the last few days with everything that's going on over in America with the election and everything else. Isn't it nice to not actually be paying so much attention to COVID these days? I don't know what the cases were yesterday the day before. I think it was about 500 or something. But there was a time when I was getting notifications day in, day out. Uh, So many hundred infected, so many dead, uh, all this sort of stuff. So I think that this is very much weighing on young people's mental health in tandem with all the other issues going on in the world. We've got climate change, we've got Brexit, we've got uh, American politics and everything else. And I think it's overwhelming for a lot of people.
1: Now, in terms of, um, do you feel that younger people are maybe being more discommoded than older people? I mean, there's, there's been a lot said about older people in nursing homes and the fact that their families can't go in to see them. I mean, surely you must see that older people are the, are the cohort of our community that are most suffering in this pandemic.
5: Absolutely, no. Well, I mean, I, I draw a distinction, I suppose, between older people and the decision-making generation. So people in nursing homes are absolutely being crucified by this as well. Uh, there's no two ways about that and I think that the people in nursing homes and sort of um, younger generations as well have a lot in common that way um, but it's that in between that, that decision making generation I think um, that aren't uh, necessarily um, suffering to the same extent not that they should uh, you wouldn't begrudge them as I say in the article they've lived their lives um, to the fullest and everything else and uh, they've had opportunities and everything else and they're now nice and ensconced with families and things Uh, But certainly for my age group, and as you mentioned, older generations, we're separated in a lot of cases from our loved ones and our families by all this. We can't go to them. um, We can't even go and buy socks and that sort of stuff. Uh, because we're not allowed going to go uh, into, the, the, you know, the guards are keeping us from going to Carlo and all that sort of stuff as well. I suspect
1: so, the junior min, or the minister that made that comment will probably, uh, that'll be remembered for long. That'll be akin to uh, Joe Jacob talking about the IDA and tablets many years ago. But yeah. th- the experiences of New Zealand where Jacinta are there and effectively locked down the country, it's an island nation like ourselves, albeit I suppose we have the Northern Ireland-England connection, which, which yeah. kind of makes it a bit more difficult for us, and Australia. It's, their lockdowns for a period have been hugely instrumental in uh, in halting the spread of the virus so lockdowns work and i think the recent statistics coming out last night show that the current lockdown is actually bringing the the right results so it is the right policy is it not
5: well i think that ireland in comparison uh, comparing ireland i should say to australia comparing ireland to new zealand is comparing apples and oranges to be honest i mean as you mentioned yeah there are differences in terms of political geography we have a uh, land border and neither australia nor new zealand do so it's a lot more difficult for us to go to their level of lockdown I don't think we have gone to their level of lockdown, to be honest. I mean, when you see videos from Australia emerging of riot police raiding uh, food uh, markets and everything else, uh, arresting people en masse uh, and uh, breaking things up that way, uh, in fairness to the government and to the Guards, we haven't taken quite an authoritar- or quite as authoritarian a stance as that. Um, but also you have to remember that Australia, or New Zealand I should say, has 2,000 miles of clear blue water between it and the nearest significant landmass in Australia, you know. Uh, so it's an awful lot more. Um, uh, it's, a, it's an awful lot more, uh, easier for them to to go to that sort of lockdown that they can really bring cases down to one or zero a day. Um, but what's more, as well, is that we see that even that didn't completely eradicate things. We saw there recently in New Zealand. I think that a shipping container brought a few cases with it. That's uh,
1: true. Yeah. People
5: who people who dealt with the shipping container caught it as well. So I mean, you know, we also have to consider what the, the objective and all this is. So you say the cases are coming down. That's well and good. Um, but is it, reducing cases is a zero-COVID strategy really the objective for us all in this and the, the immense societal cost that that brings, um, I hope not to be honest Well
1: people. I think that's a, that's, that's a fair point you're making and it brings me on to the next question because the Irish government both the current government and the, and the last government had to, to deal at to work during the, uh, the pandemic and that, how do you believe they have performed and, and I suppose the notion of it, while I think there's been good consensus among the political parties I'm not so sure if the notion of a third lockdown was mentioned in the early part of 2021, that it would get the same favourable reaction. Your view on that?
5: Uh, well, I don't know, to be honest, what the reaction would be, Nikki. I mean, if we listen to the polls, uh, then, uh, like I said, a lot of people seem to, to want to be locked down and to have the doors nailed shut behind them. Um, I don't agree with that, uh, and I also question the veracity of the polls, to be honest. I know that that's kind of a sacrosanct thing to say these days, but, uh, I mean, if, if, <laughs> if the last week has shown us anything, especially with U.S. politics, is that polls aren't necessarily to be trusted. Um, as for the, the political consensus and everything else, um, I think that's been fraying a little bit recently, and I was very happy to see the other come out a couple of weeks ago as the leader of Fine Gael and say that, um, you know, he thinks that people need to be very, very circumspect when it comes to imposing lockdowns. Again, whereas we have the sort of far left parties in the doll uh, again, seem to want to nail doors shut behind people as they're locked in, whether it's Sinn Féin or people for-profit or any of those. Um, I don't know what being a false position on it is, to be honest. I don't know what the Martin thinks or doesn't think and all this.
1: Okay, I would um, I would probably say that by and large, young people are, are fairly cushioned in the current world. You, you you did make the comment in the article and I quote, for my generation, it means welfare application, separation from family, delivering the takeaways and hoping that this isn't going to be the norm for longer than we can bear and we don't fall into the mental health service that will require desperate wait for months for help. Do you feel that young people, not so much even the pandemic, but young people are uh, have a tough time now because um, I, I could go back over the last uh, 50 years and talk about the challenges and difficulties that people had in the country I mean young people generally have challenges no doubt about that Um, but do you think those challenges that they have now are are significantly more than their, than their parents or grandparents?
5: Well, I think, Nikki, to be honest, every generation faces its own difficulties. I mean, the, you know, obviously my grandparents' generation faced World War Two. My grandmother was always telling me while she was alive uh, about the the food rationing and, you know, blackout lines and being afraid of bombers overhead and everything else. And I'm very grateful that I don't have to do with that. I was speaking to a lady recently who told me that it could be an awful lot worse. You could be in Syria with barrel bombs falling on you, and that's absolutely true. But I suppose the point that I'd make is that the challenges that young people face these days are different, and I think that they're exacerbated by things like social media and this blanket saturation news coverage uh, that previous generations didn't have to face. I mean, I was talking to my own parents about the 80s and everything else. There was total deprivation, uh, massive unemployment, 400,000 people. My father had to go abroad uh, to London to find work uh, and everything else. My mother lived on a farm. She was um, lucky and unlucky in that way herself, but, Um, uh, certainly in comparison to this generation, I suppose the big difference would be social media and the impact that that has on mental health. Uh, I think that we've seen spikes in mental health issues um, in this generation as opposed to previous generations, and um, for all the improvements in in care and everything else, uh, the fact that the the improvements need to be taken up more often, uh, I think by this generation speaks for itself, you know
1: when uh, you when we lift this lockdown at the beginning of december i mean clearly the hope is that the pubs will be open the restaurants will be open can we expect people to behave themselves because clearly when the lockdown was lifted the first time. We can we all have images of the uh, scenes in some of the streets in Dublin where people were out drinking on the streets and having a good time. And I don't want to use the the the, the term young people because I mean there was uh, there was older people involved there as well. Our lives going forward, at least for the foreseeable future until um, a vaccine is found, they'll have to be somewhat uh, curtailed. I would suspect. Would you agree?
5: Um, I would, but I suppose at the same time, Nicky, what we can come back to a little bit, and I, I remember Pascal, or it wasn't Pascal who it was uh, Michael Noonan quoted this in his budget speed, speech a few years ago, that too long a sacrifice makes a stone of the heart. Uh, so, I mean, we were all talking back in March about, you know, a short, sharp lockdown that, you know, when Neil Bradker came out on um, uh, TV in Washington, Um, made his speech and and effectively called the country to arms against COVID there was tremendous goodwill and there was a belief that you know we can all put our shoulders to the wheel on this and that a lockdown would work to bring it but here we are six months later what was supposed to be a three month lockdown has effectively been a six month or a seven month lockdown a varying severity obviously over the course of that time but a lockdown nevertheless and what are we seeing we're still seeing hundreds of cases every day we're seeing a lack of uh, buy in now more and more from people who just don't believe to be honest but this is the way forward you
1: know well you're a, you're a young man that has a lot to offer this country uh, I've met you a couple of times but if you were to leave this country where would you go I mean most other parts of the country, the world are in somewhat of a lockdown employment situations may be difficult where would the, uh, the aeroplane uh, what direction would you go in
5: yeah, well, to be honest, Nicky, I, I mentioned the article that I was talking to friends of mine. Um, I have one friend who uh, has fled to Crete, funnily enough, uh, for the next few weeks of lockdown. Um, he's been over there and uh, working away on his laptop. Yeah, he's been lucky enough to keep his job, and I understand that he's working from his hotel room over there. Um, there seems to be a little bit more freedom for people over, even in Greece and Crete at the moment. Another friend of mine went over to Stockholm. He's working from there as well. I've been seeing pictures from him of people sitting in pubs and restaurants. Just with life going on, you know. Um, and I know it's sacrilegious it's to say it these days. To be honest, um, I don't see too much of an issue uh, with a, a plane that points west over towards America either. I know that America has an awful lot of its own problems as well. But I think there are opportunities there that don't exist in Ireland, unfortunately. Well, that's home.
1: a that's a good way to maybe just before I just want to ask you briefly about the American uh, the American elections. But uh, do you have any role in Fine Gael now? I mean, you obviously are not the longer the president of Young Fine Gael, of course. But do you have any role specifically in the party now or locally?
5: Uh, no, I'm just a member, Nicky, yeah. an ordinary member. But star, I but, I, but I mean, do
1: you still have the ambition to uh, to maybe make a, a re-entry and uh, challenge maybe for some position in the party?
5: I don't know, to be honest, Nicky. I mean, you'd never rule anything out. Um, I, I was a little bit put off, I'll be honest, by my time as president towards the end. I took a few months out uh, when I finished up, and obviously the pandemic struck shortly after, so that wasn't, um, wasn't ideal either. But in the last few months, I've sort of started trying to get back involved and stuff. Um, by writing articles as much as anything
1: else and, and renewing my membership of the party. Yeah, well, so. look, we're we we uh, we're delighted to get your views because uh, you're a young man prepared to come on and give your views, which is fantastic in this day and age. As, I said, as I said, uh, the American election, you must be enthralled with it. I mean, I, I am enthralled with it and I'm a lot older than you are. Um, yeah. it's, it's amazing, really. It does look like it's uh, it's Biden's to lose, but it's like, a, it's like a, I look at it as a kind of a game that suddenly the opposition could come in and score a couple of goals and it's not so much uh, easy to win anymore.
5: No, well, I mean, like, uh, American democracy has an awful lot of different facets to it. It has an awful lot of rules, and I suppose that's what happens when you have such a, a vast, diverse country with so many hundreds of millions of people in it. It's, it's different, very much so, from PRS TV in Ireland, you know, so it's not just a question, I think, of winning the most votes. And as we're seeing these days, it's not even a question of uh, having having TV networks to pay in your favor. I do think it's Biden's to lose. Um, as you say, I think anybody with a, with a, a political brain cell would, would say that. Um, but as I said, there are an awful lot of different facets and rules to it, so Trump is certainly making it clear that he wants this to go the legal route. Um, and I suppose we have to see what the, what the League of Eagles say. It's about a that. very,
1: it's a very fractured society in the U.S. Now. I mean, Biden, as soon as he gets in, I mean, he 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 has to be trying to wrap his arm around or his whole arms around the nation and see can he bring some sort of reconciliation because it's a it's a broken society.
5: It is certainly, and I mean, I suppose when you see an election where the the presumptive winner in Joe Biden has gotten the most votes of any candidate ever, uh, and when you see the runner-up. Uh, or presumptive runner-up Donald Trump um, has the second most votes of any candidate ever, and I think there's about five million between or whatever it is seventy or no eight million I think actually seventy-two versus sixty-four or something like that million. Um, I mean, it just goes to show the level of division that exists in that country. I don't envy whoever takes over and whoever has to unify it or try to. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that either of the candidates are particularly well equipped to to unify the country. Being honest. Uh, they've both said um, uh, rough things about the other side in the past, um, but I suppose we'd all wish whoever wins the very, very best, because uh, America's prosperity is the world's prosperity, and um, if they're doing well, then it's a lot more likely that Ireland will do well. That's
1: very true, and I suppose we do look on America as the the great democracy, and I think it uh, it just needs to, uh, to, if I could use just a, a, an Irish term, get its act together very quickly. Exactly. Okay. Well, Killian, it was great to get your views and I'm sure we'll have you on again because you're a young man who's uh, very prepared to stand up and and uh, be, be counted as they say. So we do appreciate you taking the time. Good wishes with you. Hang around the old country for another while yet. It's uh, it's not oh, going I it's not me. going too bad. All right. All right. Thanks, Killian. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. okay, okay. The best in Killian Foley Walsh a kind lum. Well Shin there done claw done ya on you, but weakest the Sammy Richardwick's August Steve Shallok's DNA beer on uh lum Smear me, Holy David. Angela Kyo, August Killian, Foley Walsh. Funny galing magback spiritual talk. Teresa looked le Heidi Good. August big conversations. Era Hendek log le Patrice big she kind le Patty Butler walk over. Big and Clare show Erin Loner in eight o'clock. August Kadee and Saturn Chokuing or Kyo August Sloan August panicked.
0: We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, eighty-eight point seven FM.